This week in retail news, Amazon is moving into luxury with the launch of its luxury store section. Meanwhile, major fashion houses are finding a new home on TikTok. And this just in, micro-fulfillment centers are on the rise today. We'll hear from two thought leaders on what they think about this growing trend. We've got the scoop and more on today's episode. It's Monday, September 21st, and this is your Retail Rundown. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the show. Today, we're joined by guest Richard Kestenbaum and Aman Karana. Richard is a regular Forbes contributor and the co-founder and partner at Triangle Capital. Aman is the co-founder of Goat in Store, a tech company helping retailers drive sales via live video solutions. Aman, Richard, it's great to have you both on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thank you very much, Julia. Lovely to be here. Lovely to have you on. And the first bit of news is about Amazon. We talk about them a lot. They're making headlines again in their most luxurious venture yet. They announced last week a new shopping experience they're calling Luxury Stores. This is available in the Amazon app by invitation only, and shoppers can browse exclusive styles from established and emerging luxury fashion and beauty brands. The new section currently features items from designer Oscar de la Renta's pre-fall and winter 2020 collections, with additional luxe fashion brands to be added in the coming weeks. Amazon says its luxury stores platform will also include interactive features like a 360-degree viewing, which allows shoppers to see items on different body types and various skin tones. Richard, I'll pass this to you first. What's your initial reaction to Amazon's new luxury platform? Well, Julia... I have a three-word reaction that I almost (laughs) never say, which is, I don't know. And the reason why I say that is because I think that using Oscar de la Renta as the example, because it's their first brand, I believe that Oscar de la Renta and Amazon are opposites. And what I mean is, Amazon is such a fantastic place to shop and so effective when you know exactly what you want and you've done a little research beforehand or even if you want to compare it to a few other things. But Oscar de la Renta is in some ways very, very different from that. Oscar de la Renta is perfect when you're looking for a great occasion dress and you want to see what's new and be inspired. And Those two things are very different. In many ways, the opposite shopping experiences. And the question is, as Amazon grows and it needs to continue growing in order to continue to have the culture that it has increased stock price and maintain its culture, as it grows, can it expand into that kind of shopping? No one knows the answer to that. So part of that depends on how consumers adapt. Part of that depends on what technology they use to help people to have that discovery experience. And part of that depends on the culture of consumers and how adaptable they will be to having that discovery experience online or on their mobile device instead of in stores. And I think it's a really interesting experiment, and I'm intrigued to find out what happens here. Mm -hmm. So, Richard, you said, first of all, I don't know, and that you rarely say that. And you made a good point that it seems that Amazon and this brand, Oscar de la Renta, are opposites, at least for right now. And the key is how consumers are going to adapt and then the technology at play. Aman, what's your take? The, The clever thing Amazon have done here is to launch this service now in the current climate. I personally believe that luxury is one of the hardest 
challenges Amazon is going to try and take on because mm. luxury is all based around the experience that's been created. And the luxury brands, the reason why they're able to charge so much and command the following that they do is that they invest so heavily in the experience of the brand and the experience of shopping. Now, Amazon, fantastic platform. We all use it every day, but we use it for certain purposes. Luxury is really about a shopping experience, buying into that brand. And a large part of that is the human element, the ability to go out and shop, the ability to engage with a brand ambassador, the ability to really smell, touch, feel, and engage with that brand. And that's what Amazon cannot currently offer, although it offers many other benefits. I was looking into this actually and looking at some more details and they've been quite clever in some ways. So they've made it quite exclusive. It's invite only, which is very good to try and get that exclusivity level up. It's a bit like, you know, having bouncers on the door and saying you're not invited in until only you're a VIP. And if you go and try to join, you can request access to join a waiting list. I believe now it's only Amazon Prime members based in the US and invite only, but you can request to go on the guest list, so to speak. Mm. However, if you drill down a bit further and you go into frequently asked questions. There's four questions that they currently have on the website. And one of them is, how do I know my purchase is authentic? Now, for me, that's a real deal breaker when talking about luxury. That's not a question you're going to go, you're not going to walk into the Gucci store and say, um, is this Gucci product <laughs> authentic? Okay, so this is synonymous with Amazon. They're trying to move from one area of mass consumption, of really battling on price and offering huge convenience into luxury and to, to overcome the, the, the reputation that they have and the challenge that they have with going into that, they have to make a lot of investment into not only technology, but I believe into creating experiences and experiences involve products, people and stores. And I don't know whether they're willing to make that investment. Mm -hmm. Really good thoughts, Amon. I love how you brought up the human element. I think that will be pivotal to seeing whether this is successful, if they can supplement that with technology. And you mentioned that exclusivity, having that invite-only launch is a good way to mimic sort of the bouncers that we see at some traditional luxury stores. Do you think that because people do trust Amazon, at least for certain things, like, you know, you'll get your package on time. I know in the past there's been issues with some of the sellers in where products are coming from. But I think with apps like the Real Real, the notion of circular fashion, that people are starting to have more trust in other sellers. Do you think this will be a big hurdle for Amazon to build trust with consumers and luxury? I think they can get over the trust element, but they have to attract the right brands to get onto the platform. And so they've managed to get one brand there and that's the one they've spoken about there, but they haven't spoken about any others. They've also been very clear in the limited information they've given out that this is well-established and sought after emerging luxury brands. And I believe the reason why they've done that is that a lot of the fashion houses will not want to work with Amazon. They will not mm. want to go on the platform. It's only when they're forced that they might have to, but they will not want to because they feel it will demean their reputation. It will go against the experience and the brand offering that they're trying to portray to their customers. So when they're talking about well-established and sought after emerging luxury brands, I believe that is if they don't get enough well-established brands, they're going to go after the sought after emerging brands, luxury brands route. And what that means is if you have too many sought after luxury brands, emerging brands, that could once again take it out of the luxury section because if they're too emerging, they're not traditionally luxury. Mm -hmm. I don't think we'll be seeing Gucci on Amazon. No, <laughs> I don't Burberry. think so either. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting 
about the evolution of luxury brands attitude, because when online selling started becoming popular, luxury brands said, oh, no, we would never do that. And by the way, it's a conflict with our customers' interests. So how could we ever do that? And then they realized, well, looks like we have to do that. So they did it. And now they're saying, oh, Amazon, we would never go on Amazon because that's not the right environment for us. Well, now we're seeing a lot of brands, even before this new online boutique of Amazons, go on Amazon that said they would never be there. So the products go where the money is. So if the consumers will give Amazon the credibility, and if Amazon can create the right experience, as Aman was saying, for consumers, then I think the products will follow. Will Gucci go there? Certainly not early, certainly not in the mainstream, but eventually, if it's successful, if the right consumers are there and they're buying, then everyone's going to have to go there, just like Gucci has an online shop that they never had before. Will it work? I still don't know. <laughs> yeah, Richard, I agree with that completely. And you're right. A lot of these luxury brands have actually been quite arrogant in some ways and taken a long time to move to the online and digital space. And their hands been forced in that regard. And they have started to, they've been very slow. But what the online space does offer them is a direct-to-consumer model that they can attract a mass global audience centrally to their websites. And I think what they will initially try to do is try and build up their own organic offering to their own websites through their own social profiles and influences and so on, so that they're taking that traffic directly to themselves rather than sharing with Amazon. However, as you say, if Amazon build up market share in this area, they start to get the right brands on board. Eventually, the others will have to follow as we've seen in the other sectors within retail. But let's also remember what Amazon's interest is. When big department stores were more successful, there was always a tension between them and their vendor brands because they didn't exactly have parallel interests. And each one wanted to use its power to maximize the amount of margin that they get out of each sale. And there was a constant tug of war. Amazon is no different. If anything, as aggressive as those stores were, Amazon is even more aggressive. So if this is successful, it's going to create attention. And as Aman was saying, it's going to encourage the brands to be even more aggressive on their own, on the, to develop their own um, electronic sales outside of Amazon, because that's a threat to them. No one wants to be too dependent on a single customer. Mm -hmm, certainly. And good points about maybe it will light the fire underneath some of the legacy heritage brands. And I will note that for our listeners who haven't seen the press release, it is interesting. And I think, Richard, to your point about technology, how far that will be advanced by Amazon when it comes to fit and buying clothes online, because they are showing different models. How wide are the shoulders? How narrow are the hips, the height, and things where you can kind of see how it might fit you. But that will be definitely interesting to keep an eye out for. So thanks, Simon and Richard, on that. We're going to go ahead and move to our next segment. It is on, and this is a bit of a buzzword these days, micro-fulfillment. But first, I wanted to tell our listeners a little bit more about Vtex. Vtex is the first and only global, fully integrated, end-to-end -end commerce solution with native marketplace and OMS capabilities. Vtex helps companies in retail, manufacturing, wholesale, groceries, consumer packaged goods, and other verticals to sell more, operate more efficiently, scale seamlessly, and deliver remarkable customer experience. 
Find out more about what VTEX can do for your business at www.vtex.com. So in this week's grocery news, we took a look at both U.S. and Europe. The U.S. regional supermarket HEB is joining the growing trend of supporting omni-channel services with micro-fulfillment technology. And this Texas-based grocer is rolling out a number of automated micro-fulfillment centers to support the chain's curbside pickup and delivery business. Micro-fulfillment technology automates picking and packing using robotic systems that efficiently locate and retrieve products stored in a space too compact for human workers. And grocers are using micro-fulfillment at some locations in many areas. Across the pond, we look at Carrefour. They've partnered with a company called FoodX in an effort to expand its food delivery in Northern Europe. The retailer announced plans for a new distribution center in Belgium that will power home delivery and click and collect. The partnership will also reportedly consider expanding to include micro-fulfillment centers. Amon, I'll pass this to you first. Do you think micro-fulfillment centers are a passing fad, or do they have the capacity to really shift the grocery landscape as we know it? I actually believe they do have the capacity to shift the grocery landscape. I think it's been changing for a number of years. We've seen that in the US, but also across the pond here in Europe. And what we've seen, um, once again, accelerated by the current pandemic, is we've seen so many more consumers have now turned to the online world for their grocery shopping. And that has really pushed a lot of people over the edge because they never experienced before. People didn't understand what this would be like because they're so used to going in, picking their groceries, feeling them, smelling them, touching them, and walking down the aisles. However, the inconvenience of that has always been a bugbear with consumers. And now, for the first time, many of these consumers who were traditionally against online grocery shopping have tried it. And as a consequence, the feedback that I've seen is many of them like it because they've seen the advantages that it brings. So coming out of a full situation is now a real, real driver for sustained change in this area. So I don't believe this will actually be a fad. I believe this is accelerating a long-term change in consumer habit, which is then being fulfilled by a long-term change by the actual grocers. Mm -hmm. You said it was definitely accelerated by the pandemic and a lot of traditionally consumers who are against it are now for it because the convenience factors and other things. Richard, you said before we kicked off today that you had a lot of knowledge around the grocery space. What's your view on delivery and the partnerships we talked about? I believe that the micro-fulfillment center is a part of major radical tectonic changes that the grocery industry is facing. Three major things, factors to keep in mind. One, as Aman was saying, the accelerated shift to online because of the pandemic. Two, the character of the grocery business having very thin margins on product. And three, the scale of the grocery business. Why are those important? Because as more consumers order online, fewer come into the store. And as fewer consumers come into the store, because the margins are so thin, the economics of the fixed overhead in each store makes many, many stores go into the red, makes them unfeasible. And the real estate that the grocery industry thinks of as its anchor turns into its ball and chain. And we're mm. going to see as a result 
Many stores having to close and sitting there empty, just as we're seeing on fashion streets all over the world. And the other thing is the scale of the grocery business. Right now, the grocery business in the United States is over $700 billion, which means that to convert the customers to online grocery will require enormous investment and change and risk. When there is almost no way right now to make money in the online grocery business, because one of the interesting things about the grocery business historically is that the customers come into the stores and do their own picking and packing and delivering. When you add the labor required to do that for the customer, it makes the business unprofitable. So it requires technology in order to reduce all that labor cost. And that's why you're reading about micro-fulfillment. Micro-fulfillment is the rage in grocery now. I'm not convinced that that's the answer. I think it's part of the answer. There's another system that I guess you'd call it macro-fulfillment. Giant, giant automated centers built most notably by a company called Ocado in England, which now Mm -hmm. has... 15% of the online grocery market in the UK that are extremely efficient, but they can't deliver very fast because they're so big, they can only be located in places that are relatively far from consumers. So there would be, there's no such thing as one hour delivery from an Ocado center. It's just too big and too far, but it is very efficient. And that's important in such a thin margin business. And so I think Ocado is part of the answer for things that you know you're going to need, like paper towels and condiments and other household supplies. And micro-fulfillment is also part of the answer for things that you need on relatively short notice or to fill in, or if you're making a recipe and instead of running out to the grocery, you order it on your mobile device and it comes in an hour. It's a spectrum of responses that are needed in order to make the new system work. We shop today the same way our moms shopped. There's a once or twice a week grocery trip in which you get virtually everything you need. That trip, the monopoly of the time that supermarkets have on consumers in taking that once or twice weekly trip, that's what's endangered. And when that blows up, the solution will come from many different places. And that will be very risky for both the supermarkets and for the consumer product companies that live off that once or twice weekly trip. And it opens up opportunity for new technology, new products that have creative ways of attracting consumers to them, and new ways to save time for consumers. And that's so exciting. But as we've seen, as with many other legacy industries that adopt to mobile and online shopping, they are vulnerable to new thinking from companies with much fewer resources. And I think that's what we're going to see in the grocery business as we've seen in other sectors of retail. Mm-hmm. Excellent points, Richard. I, from just listening to your overview, you paint a really representative picture of where grocers are at because they're between a rock and a hard place. I mean, something has to give. We can't, as consumers, keep expecting this level, this new level of full service end-to-end for our grocery shopping without additional costs. Yeah, I think there are going to have to be technology solutions. You know, the thing about American consumers is that they demand, but they won't pay a higher price. (laughs) 
Because, you know, it's like the old Made in America thing. Everyone wants to buy Made in America, but no one will pay more than five cents more for it. Mm -hmm. So they demand it, but they won't pay. And what that means is someone is going to gather the capital to give it to them. And that means everybody else has to figure out what's the technology. I went to the largest grocery trade show almost a year ago called Grocery Shop. And all the leaders of the industry were there and many senior people in the industry was there. And when you listen to the leaders of the industry, they talk about being on more or less a glide path to online adoption. But when I sat in the audience, I asked dozens of people next to me, do you believe that the top leaders in the grocery industry today will be the top leaders in five and 10 years from now? Almost no one believed they would be the leaders. They're standing up there telling you that they're on this glide path and no one believes it because the change is so enormous. Wow. I mean, and that was pre-pandemic when you were at grocery shop? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to just think how fast it took a turn. Well, you know, in that audience, that audience saw that online adoption was happening faster than anybody in leadership was recognizing. No one saw that it would accelerate the way it has in such a short time because of the pandemic, but it's not going back. Mm -hmm. And that's a really interesting change. Absolutely. Amon, do you have any last comments before we move on to our third segment? I would just say this change, and Richard alluded to it there, it is going to create and is creating mass opportunity. So we're going to see a number of small agile firms that can come up both in the technology sector, but also in the grocery sector that can do things better because they can react in an agile way. They can test and learn very, very quickly, and they can provide new innovative solutions to deal with common problems that are coming up again and again. And I think Richard's point to just to echo it, someone is going to see that opportunity and someone is going to put a lot of money behind that opportunity. And when they do, they will start to dominate the market. So unfortunately, the market is in a tight spot. I think that as you say, you both said that the consumer does not want to pay the additional costs and the people who are getting squeezed are actually the suppliers, the farmers, the people that provide the groceries to the large grocery retailers. But there's only so much further they can be squeezed because I think they're on their knees as well. So I think innovation is the way out of this, supported by technology, but it has to be quick and dynamic. Time is ticking. Speaking of, the next segment is TikTok. Let's not forget about our good retail news. Amazon, one of the largest consumers of batteries in the world, is investing in a battery recycling startup called Redwood Materials, which was founded by a former Tesla executive, J.B. Straubel. Apple is trailing a new express pickup store format for fast, easy, and safe pickup. Located in Burlingame, California, the new format is a simplified version of the Apple Store experience that resembles a bank teller window. Customers with existing orders can simply walk up to the counter and collect their purchase. CVS Health announced last week it would double down on its drive-through testing sites for the coronavirus strain COVID-19 to 4,000, while Walgreens confirmed plans to expand its testing to include employers. There's been a lot of uh, buzz in the news about this. So although New York Fashion Week wrapped up last week, dozens of the major fashion brands are continuing to appear in live streams on social media app TikTok. And TikTok's running their fashion month. So through October 8th, the video app series will feature brands like Louis Vuitton, Puma, and Alice and Olivia. Meanwhile, 
Burberry live-streamed its spring-summer 2021 fashion show last week in partnership with live video streaming service Twitch, becoming the first luxury brand to do so. So that's pretty big news. Richard, I'll pass this to you first. What are your thoughts? We're a little back to luxury here. What are your thoughts on these major fashion houses experimenting with TikTok and Twitch? I believe that social media is not established. What I mean is, we don't know what the landscape of social media will be over time. I believe we're only at the very beginning. And I believe that in retail and branding and fashion, there are many things we don't know the answer to. And the companies that will be successful are those that are willing to experiment because they're the ones who are likely to find the answers that work for them and adapt as social media and other technologies develop. In some ways, it's the same thing we were talking about in grocery. Who's going to win in grocery? Whoever figures out first and best how to use the technology. And that's true in social media as well. Social media creates an enormous power concentration on the part of the entity that controls the social media. Eventually, I believe the technology will change to allow consumers to control their information and the access to it, and even possibly be compensated for the access to their social media as they generate eyeballs. So I think in a year from now, we'll be talking about a different aspect of social media. And the people who experiment and the people who adapt are going to be the ones who are in the best position to win. It's very dynamic, more than we've ever seen. The ones who experiment will be the winners, it sounds like, from your point of view, just the same with grocery. Aman, What's your take when you hear about these fashion houses partnering with these tech companies? This is nothing new. And there's two real areas here. One is social commerce, where you've got kind of live commerce through the social media platforms. The other is using live video to lead human-led sales interactions. And what's happened once again, and has been really accelerated through this pandemic period, is millions of people globally have used live video for the first time And they've used it to communicate to loved ones, to family members, to friends, in business environments, and they've got comfortable with it. Now, what's happening is that using live video to interact with brands and retailers is coming to the mainstream. Now, this was already in China three, four years ago. You know, if we look at this year, there's $135 billion is the estimated value of the Chinese live commerce market. That's double of what it was last year. 10% a proportion of total online transactions in China are currently driven by live video streaming. So it's not new. It it was adapted and picked up. I think Alibaba launched their service in 2016. However, we are seeing more and more of it now in the West and it's getting more prevalent. And once again, I believe this type of solution does, whether it's in a social context or whether it's in just a live video connection content, it adds the human element to the shopping experience. And that's what's lacking in the online world. We're not talking about buying a $10 t-shirt or even buying your groceries. In that regard, you don't really need to connect to a trusted advisor, a brand ambassador, a real product expert. You don't need that human interaction for those types of purchases. But when you're making a considered purchase, and that purchase could be considered for a number of reasons. It could be that it's a high value item. It could be that it's a complex item where you normally do large amounts of research and you would go into a store to talk to someone, or it could be that the item's got an emotional attachment and what you want is the opinion of an expert. In those scenarios, 
the best sales asset that these brands and retailers have are their people, their trusted advisors. And that is what live commerce or live video interactions do for the online world, is bring the human element into it. And that's why we're seeing such great success. And as I said, with the pandemic in place, people have been forced to go down that route and it's proving to be even more successful than it was before. Mm -hmm. And Aman, this is close to you or near and dear to your heart, right? Because Go In Store has live video as a component. It is indeed, yeah. So we, we actually connect visitors browsing retailers or brands websites directly with in-store brand ambassadors and product experts via a one-way video stream. And what that does is it gives you the convenience of shopping online combined with the ability to talk to a human and not, not a human in a call center that isn't trained or isn't representing your brand in the right way, but the actual person that you would connect to if you walked into the physical store. And just to give you some stats, what we've seen is the growth we've seen in the last four months since the pandemic kicked in is about 450% in terms of the usage, number of calls, and number of clients that we've been working with. And these are global brands that have really adapted and taken on this type of technology because in the pandemic, what was forced onto them was the fact that because the stores were closed, all of the focus switched to their online operations. And because all of the resources and focus switched to the online operations, it's how can we make this better? And an example of this is one of the customers that we worked with in the US market, they unfurloughed 650 staff over the course of a week because the stores were shut down, those staff were unable to work. We allowed those staff to go back to work from their homes by connecting to consumers via the website in a live video chat. So you unfurlowed these 650 staff and suddenly these staff members were serving customers from their homes. It was just tremendous to see. So this is um, an area that's just going to get bigger and bigger. And uh, what we can see is two streams. One is going direct to consumer and leveraging your own website, your own following on your own platform when you've got a lot more control. And the other is using your social channels and using people like TikTok, Triller and others to generate that wider social appeal to get consumers connected to you and your brand. Mm -hmm, certainly. And that is tremendous that you were able to help facilitate that because it's tough for retailers. I've spoken to a lot and they're trying to balance everything that's come with the pandemic along with, okay, how do we pick up on these new trends that might last a while? How do we do video shopping? Or how do we use our own employees or leverage our own employees to be brand ambassadors, but also work with influencers? So it's a lot. What do you guys think about TikTok offering a shoppable live stream with a home shopping network for Gen Z? That was recent. It seems to me almost like QVC for Gen Z. Well, I think there are a few elements of video shopping by video video that are important. There's QVC and Home Shopping Network, and that's they one to many. And there's the flexibility that Aman was creating for his customers, which sounds just incredible, enabling them to have a great experience at home. What we've seen about the most effective shoppable live stream in China, that's really at the beginning in the United States, or not really even beginning in the United States, is yes. that it creates an instantaneous community. And what I mean is, what's happening on those live streams is that it's not just the experts 
from the retailer or the brand who are talking to consumers. But consumers on the live stream are communicating with each other. And that has an enormously high credibility. Now, you might think when that happens that friends go on at the same time and they communicate with each other and say, oh, that would look great on you, et cetera, or isn't that the right color for you, et cetera. And that does happen. But what's happening in a much more major way is that strangers are communicating with each other on the live stream and giving credibility to the brand and querying each other and advising each other and chatting in a way that we've never seen in any kind of channel before. Mm-hmm. And so this new technology has created an instantaneous, an instantaneously ending community. That is to say, it exists for a moment and then it doesn't. And it's facilitating sales. And so the retailers who can draw an audience that's interested in their product, that associates and identifies with its product, will have a very engaged, shoppable live stream where the participants will communicate with each other in ways that facilitate sales. And that's not just QVC for Gen Z. It's a whole different way of shopping. And that's really interesting. Yeah, Richard, I think you've hit multiple points on the head there, if you will. This experience that's been created is being reinforced exactly by the consumers talking about themselves. And the impact that has on sales, the stats show that typical online websites in retail sector outside of grocery will convert anywhere between 0.5 and 2%. When people are engaging in live shopping experiences, if it's a one-to-many live shopping experience, they can convert as high as 10%. If it's a one-to-one experience, that conversion rate can flip to as high as 20 to 25%. Now, that's rivaling the conversion rate that these brands and retailers see in their stores. So for the first time, you've got the biggest entity in terms of footfall, which is your website where you can get unlimited traffic. You're not limited by the geographic location. And you've got a high converting tool, which is technology accompanied by human interaction that allows you to convert this traffic at a rate that you would get if people are attending a physical store. And that's a very powerful tool for both retailers and consumers. The other thing that this one-to-many content does, one-to-many live video solutions do, is they allow retailers and brands to create content. And this is fresh content that is reusable. So if you think, if you're doing a live product stream and there's thousands of questions coming in, consumers are engaged, questions are being answered by consumers and being answered by the experts, that content can be reused. Those questions are surely going to come up again. So that is reusable content. That's fresh that can be shown in different um, settings, social media, on your own website, clippets can be made and so on. So you've got another way to create fresh and reusable content that is a fraction of the cost of getting that content made in a traditional way. Absolutely. It's astounding some of these stats that you shared, both of you, Richard and Amon. And I'd like to take a moment to thank both of you for coming on the show today. So Richard Kestenbaum and Amon Kirana, it was great having you and I hope to have you back. Thank you so much. Great to be here with you. Yeah, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much, Julia. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.